Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, September 2nd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. President Trump visiting Kenosha, Wisconsin after major protests there, pledging money and resources for the city's police. Is there a new coronavirus crisis growing in the Midwest? Several states, including Iowa, reporting a rapid rise in cases. And Immigration and Customs Enforcement announcing a massive operation, more than 2,000 immigrants taken into custody over a six-week period. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Today, President Trump is back at the White House after visiting the flashpoint of Kenosha, Wisconsin, highlighting his pro-police message while the family of Jacob Blake is not pleased with the way his case is being handled. Andrea Linares has more. I'm committed to helping Kenosha rebuild. President Trump pledging to give $1 million to Kenosha law enforcement and vowing to help rebuild businesses there destroyed during the protests. I'm also providing nearly $4 million to support these small businesses that I talked about today that got burned up, burned down. And we're going to be providing over $42 million to support public safety statewide. Several Wisconsin officials called on the president to postpone the visit for a later time. But Mr. Trump moved ahead with his plans. His arrival was met with opposition. With protesters on both sides clashing. Kenosha has been seeing days of violence after police shot Jacob Blake in the back and left him paralyzed on August 23rd. Some of Blake's family and friends calling the president's visit a campaign stunt. It is the same reason he visits Portland. He is here to sow chaos and fear. Jacob Blake should have been the primary purpose and the primary focus. That is what's causing this country to be in an uproar. President Trump did not meet with Jacob Blake nor his family during his visit, saying the family wanted lawyers involved. I didn't get to speak to the mother. I hear she's a fine woman. I've heard that from the pastor. Meanwhile, the president is defending 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, accused of killing two demonstrators in the Kenosha protest. This morning, Rittenhouse remains in custody as his lawyer posted this video on Twitter, sharing what he says is a jailhouse message from the teenager. I just want to thank every single one of you from the bottom of my heart for the underlining support. Um, it's just amazing. just want to let you all know that I'm going to be out of here soon. Biden this week accused Trump of rooting for chaos and violence during this election season. You know me. You know my heart. You know my story, my family story. Ask yourself, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? I want a safe America. Jacob Blake remains hospitalized, but according to family, his health is somewhat progressing. The family says there will only be justice until there is a conviction of the officer who was placed on administrative leave after the shooting. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining me now is Michael Edison Hayden. He's a senior investigative reporter at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Thanks for being here, Michael. Michael, you uncovered deep-rooted connections between the contingent traveling uh, with Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha to white supremacist propaganda. Can you describe that connection? 
Sure. Um, essentially, uh, what we found is that Rittenhouse uh, traveled with a militia contingent that included a man named Ryan Balk, who's a 31-year-old man. And if you want to have an idea of what a 17-year-old might be doing on the streets of Kenosha with a 31-year-old, um, you know, the unifying theme there was going up to uh, respond to just a deluge of propaganda um, about Antifa and rioting and Black Lives Matter that is really meant to inflame tensions and, and, and stir emotions that's been coming from the far right for months now. Do these groups of armed citizens that claim to have traveled to Kenosha with the intention of protecting businesses, do you think that's a legit, legitimate reason? Could there be other motives for their presence? Well, I can't really speak to um, motives necessarily because, you know, I'm not inside the head of this person. But I can tell you that Balk, who was, again, there with him, uh, was um, promoting uh, white nationalist and white supremacist propaganda. He, he shared a video to a Hitler speech. I mean, this is some pretty radical stuff. This is not, um, you know, run-of-the-mill uh, Republican talking points. This was extreme stuff. But um, as we've been seeing more and more, um, there was a combination between that and the pro-Trump stuff in his social media history. Um, and it's a very scary proposition when you have people, young people, um, being uh, subjected to this just endless stream of propaganda online that really focuses on, you know, conspiracy theories like white genocide and stuff like that. You know, it's it's not shocking that they would see violence as an option. Um, you know, given that they're they're being told constantly that their their race is being eliminated by elites and things like that. I mean, it's really dangerous propaganda that we've seen on the internet for years during the Trump era. And Michael, a man killed in Portland over the weekend was reportedly wearing insignia of a group called Patriot Prayer. What do you know about this group? Okay, so uh, Patriot Prayer, we would not list them as white supremacist, but they've had white supremacist elements within the group. Basically, Patriot Prayer is a far-right uh, street uh, protest gang that has kind of been involved in this Portland um, you know, weekend protest clashes that have been happening throughout the Trump era. I mean, this is hardly the first time this has ever happened, um, that people have been, have clashed in that city. Um, there has been, uh, you know, as you know, ongoing uh, protests uh, since the death of George Floyd uh, that have really, really uh, sustained in Portland. And um, these groups know that Portland is a liberal-leaning city, is a sort of a Democrat city, and that there are these anti-racist demonstrators on the streets, and they have gone into Portland repeatedly and just kind of trying to provoke um, a fight for social media videos. Again, this, this kind of propaganda that you see, um, you know, being pushed very heavily uh, all over social media um, by the far right. And Michael, by now we know that the president has a bit of a history of promoting unsubstantiated conspiracy theories. And now the president is saying that a plane full of, quote, thugs in dark uniforms traveled to D.C. to disrupt the RNC last week. How are those types of unsubstantiated claims empowering fringe groups? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I can't uh, say with 100 uh, percent certainty, but I think Trump pretty much knows what he's doing at this point. It's an electoral strategy um, to try to, uh, or it appears to be an electoral strategy to try to 
create this unrest and tension and then blame it on his opposition, which is very odd considering uh, the degree to which this is this is a signature theme of the Trump era, isn't it? I mean, these 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 type of clashes is something that we have seen throughout his uh, presidency. Um, but, you know, I mean, he is, um, you know, he, the use of uh, specifically conspiracy theories um, has been a way to kind of tie his base together, keep them together, keep them in line, because he's on a very thin margin um, in many ways. Trump's support, um, you know, if you notice, it, it doesn't really uh, go up beyond a certain level and it doesn't really go down beyond a certain level. So he needs to sort of keep that um, base together. And one way to do it is these conspiracy theories. The end result of it also is that people... Um, really are getting their brains scrambled on this bizarre propaganda and willing to take to the streets and, and, and do violent things, um, you know, because they believe their country's under siege and they believe their race is being eliminated. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Michael Edison Hayden of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you. And another political news, a historic first. A member of the Kennedy family has lost an election in Massachusetts. On Tuesday, incumbent Ed Markey beat Representative Joe Kennedy in the state's Democratic Senate primary. The 39-year-old representative is the grandson of former Attorney General Robert Kennedy. Former President John Kennedy and late Senator Ted Kennedy were his great uncles. Kennedy initially led in the polls, but Markey turned the race around by backing progressive causes, including the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Justice Department has released hundreds more documents from the Mueller investigation. This appears to be the last several hundred pages of witness interviews from the investigation into Russia election interference. Batches of documents like these had been released before as part of a 2019 lawsuit. This information has often helped explain what investigators learned about the 2016 campaign and President Trump's behavior at the time. Agents or prosecutors typed up these memos after they questioned each witness, but many of them are heavily redacted. And now to the latest on the coronavirus, Iowa being singled out as the state with the highest rate of infection and a testing crisis in Florida forcing the state to cut ties with a private lab. All this as Dr. Anthony Fauci warns that Labor Day weekend celebrations can ruin all the progress we've made. Labor Day weekend approaching and Dr. Anthony Fauci sending out a warning during a call with governors. Urging Americans to not ruin the progress made fighting COVID-19, especially with the flu season around the corner. One thing you don't want is to play whack-a-mole as you go into the fall. A critical warning for states seeing an increase in cases. Right now, Iowa has the highest rate of cases in the U.S., infections increasing by 77.4% from the previous week. Ohio reporting 1,400 new cases Tuesday, the largest single-day jump since July. We want our kids in school, which we do. We want our school playing athletics, which we do. Then the way to do that is for us to 
slow this spread down. Meanwhile, in Florida, where cases had significantly decreased in the past few days, a crisis. The state health department severing ties with Quest Diagnostics after it failed to report 75,000 test results dating back to April. The lab saying in a statement, we apologize for this matter and regret the challenge it poses for public health authorities in Florida. The issue has since been resolved. Importantly, the issue did not affect or delay reporting of test results to providers and patients. Meanwhile, the federal government announcing plans to ship 150 million rapid tests for states to use during the reopening of schools. New York City schools now agreeing to randomly test students and staff each month and delaying in-person classes until September 21st to avoid a teacher strike over COVID safety demands. That has to be my first concern, is the safety of my son. It has to be. I have no other choice. And meanwhile, at colleges and universities, infections are mounting. There are now up to 25,000 confirmed cases in 37 states. And the nation's fourth largest school district facing yet another challenge in its attempts to kick off the school year online. Miami-Dade County Public Schools virtual learning system was hit by a cyber attack this morning for the second day in a row. That's according to the superintendent. As the district was trying to implement a fix for the issues it encountered by, encountered by teachers and students on Monday and Tuesday, school officials discovered a cyber attack was simultaneously happened, which blocked students from logging on. Superintendent Alberto Carvalho said he is confident the cyber attack along with Monday's issues were contributing to the frustration encountered by parents and students. And joining us now is Dr. Sion Firu. She's an emergency room physician in New York City and a special advisor to Ethiopia's Ministry of Health. Thanks for being here, Dr. Firu. As we've reported, cases are rising in the Midwest and especially in Iowa. What measures should state and local officials take to stop the spread? Thank you for having me. As we've seen as schools are reopening and, and the states that you mentioned, especially um, out in the Midwest, we're seeing a lot of college students going back. And with this comes congregation, people hanging out in bars and, and some spaces, unfortunately, that are not open space. So that's going to um, increase the rise in infection, and especially coming people coming from all over the states. Uh, we've seen some states um, uh, going to the cluster areas like the counties, closing bars and restaurants, especially indoor bars and restaurants. That could be some of the measures that could be taken. And like we've said for so many, um, for now for six months, really increased testing of specially uh, uh, contact tracing and sick contacts are going to be very, very important to control the disease and the outbreak. And especially, I think, changing all the school courses online and avoiding um, in class and live class sessions at this point would be very important and for the government to take this action. Let me ask you this. Uh, doctors at the National Health Institute say there's not enough data backing the use of convalescent plasma as a coronavirus treatment, contradicting the FDA. How are those contradictory messages affecting physicians on the ground like yourself? You know, most of us would like to see a large-scale randomized control trial. And we support the evidence that would come out and will support um, to actually uh, 
treat all the patients with the medicines. We've, we've gone through this with the hydroxychloroquine a few months ago without really um, having a strong evidence to push to use it. And most of it, unfortunately, is a political. So a lot of my colleagues and I will look at the evidence that we have, whether it's FDA approved or not, and actually make an informed decision when we are uh, deciding to take certain actions in our hospital and also inform our patients. At this point, what I will agree is what, what Dr. Pauji and a lot of people at NIH have stated. We don't have enough data for pushing plasma use in our patients. We need more tests and we need more evidence. Dr. Fayeru, are you concerned at all about a resurgence of cases this fall, especially in a city like New York, where so many rely on public transportation? Yes, um, it's multifactorial. We've seen it from the Spanish flu. I think history is the best lesson <laughs> and the best teacher for us at this point. We've seen a second wave because of people um, really rushing to reopen and not heed the advices of public health officials. And I worry with the flu season and also when it comes winter, people are most likely going to congregate in indoor places. And I worry about a second wave. In New York, I would say in the past few months, even when we have um, positivity rates less than 1%, everything has been moved to outdoors. There are no restaurants that are serving indoors. And now with the school opening, I really I really wonder what the kids and the students, the teachers, what will happen to them. As we know, kids are not mostly affected by the disease severely. They can catch the virus, they can spread the virus, but I'll be very curious to know once schools open up, what it will do to our population. And I think having the low threshold to close if we see a rise will be very important. And I think Governor Cuomo has been very on top of this. And using evidence to inform decision has been very, very important all along this far. Well, we'll be watching what happens in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for your insight and your time. Dr. Sion Firu, emergency room physician in New York City. And Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says he hopes to reach a bipartisan coronavirus relief package. He made the comment Tuesday while testifying in front of the House subcommittee investigating the federal response to the pandemic. Talks between Democrats and the Trump administration on a new relief package broke down earlier last month. Mnuchin promised he would return to the negotiating table and said he would call House Speaker Nancy Pelosi following the hearing. Pelosi confirmed that call did happen, but said Mnuchin told her he wanted to, quote, do a little now and a little later. The two sides are still more than a trillion dollars apart. And welcome back to You News. More than 2,000 undocumented immigrants were arrested in nationwide operations between July and August, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It's the largest sweep since the beginning of the pandemic. Edwin PT has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin? Lorraine, that's right. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement announced that yesterday they concluded their first nationwide operation since the beginning of the pandemic. Over 2,000 immigration uh, undocumented immigrants were arrested in cities such as Dallas, L.A., 
Fairfax, Virginia, right here, very close to Washington, D.C., and Miami, Florida. But I can tell you that even though it has been the first one since the beginning of the pandemic, the daily arrests made by, made by ICE uh, didn't stop since this pandemic. Um, we have numbers from DHS that clearly shows that since January all the way up to August 22nd, over 94,000 undocumented immigrants were arrested. Now immigration saying that they were focused on this nationwide operation and those with um, criminal background and also those facing charges for uh, robbery, also for drug trafficking, domestic violence and sex abuse of children. But they never specify the negative impact of collateral arrest. That is something that has been happen uh, happening very lately. But let's take a listen to what an immigration attorney said to us. Clearly ICE has continued to arrest people. In the process, they are arresting people who do not have criminal records. They are arresting people who do not have a warrant. Uh, sometimes it's what they call collateral arrest, where they go to a place looking for somebody, but they don't find that person. Or if they do, they look at other people around them. Lorraine, only 85% of those arrested have some type of criminal background, and that's why a lot of organizations are criticizing President Trump for this action. Now, immigration authorities saying that we could expect more rates in the following weeks, but not for politics, but that's because that's their job, to enforce the immigration law so anybody that has re-entered the country illegally or anybody facing a final order of deportation will be deported from the United States. But of course, we are only 62 days away from the election, so President Trump will be using this topic to feed his political base. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edward. I'm sure this is going to continue to make headlines in the coming days. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Welcome back to You News. Activists in Southern California want to know why police shot and killed a black man who fled after they tried to stop him on his bicycle. Authorities say he was confrontational and had a gun. But as Grecia Lastra reports, right now there's no proof of that. Right now, this is the last known video of 29-year-old Dijon Kizzy, seen running from deputies after they tried to stop him for a code violation on his bike. Community activists want to know what happened when deputies caught up with Kizzy. Investigators say that he punched one of the deputies in the face, leading them to open fire. Why doesn't the L.A. County Sheriff's Department have body cams? All we have to go on with this latest shooting is one thing. There were. You could see a handgun on the ground next to Kizzy's body Monday afternoon. Investigators say that that gun came out during the confrontation with deputies. But it's not clear if Kizzy aimed the weapon at them or not. What is the message that law enforcement is really saying? They have the right to shoot black men. They have a right to kill and murder black men. This makes no sense at all. On Monday night, hundreds of protesters joined Kizzy's family and marched to the sheriff's South L.A. station demanding answers. 
Y'all done shot somebody, now y'all running scared. Stand out here on the front line like y'all been doing. Y'all got badges, y'all got guns, y'all got everything that y'all need. Stand out here and face us. Although protesters did spray paint some inflammatory messages outside the station, the confrontations remained peaceful. Protesters say that their message is simple. We're tired of the um, injustice. We're tired of the police brutality. We're tired of being looked upon as fourth-class citizens. We're tired of just not being treated equally. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.